Own Your Power, a podcast about discovering meaning, purpose, and healing in the afternoon of life with your hosts and soul-centered co-founders, Ariella and Baruch Halevi. Welcome to Soul Centered, a spiritual center for meaning, purpose, and healing for anybody in the afternoon of life. I am Baruch Levy, also known as B, and I am your guide through the afternoon of life with my wife and co-founder of Soul Centered, Ariella Halevi, who is not here today. Sometimes we um, choose your own adventure and she goes her way and I go my way. We always meet back up for our shared podcast, but today on my podcast, my way, my interest, and my good friend who's joining me, Michael Feiner. Michael, welcome. Thank you for, for joining us. Um, I'm going to introduce you and then want to hear um, from you. And we're going to talk about an amazing topic that we're calling Man and Woman's Search for Meaning, based on the title by Viktor Frankl, who I'll talk a little bit more about, uh, Man's Search for Meaning. We're doing Man's Search for Money. I think I misstated that. So, I've known Michael for, I don't know, coming up on 20 years, maybe, Mike. I um, met Michael when I was a rabbi in Swampscott, Massachusetts. Uh, Michael Feiner is CEO of Feiner Wealth Management. He is known for his um, abilities in, in that space, strategy, financial planning, leadership. And he also brings a lot to the world, not just because of his financial expertise, because he has served this great country. He served for 30 years in the United States Army Reserve uh, and the National Guard, including multiple deployments to her, uh, during Hurricane Katrina and in Iraq. I was in uh, Swampscott when you were deployed to Iraq. Thank you for your service and your ongoing service, continued service in the Massachusetts State Guard, where my friend Michael is a general. So, and, and last but not least, you were, I don't know if you remember this, I'm sure you do, you were instrumental in bringing me to Swampscott, Massachusetts. You were part of the, um, the committee to form what was then newly formed Congregation Shirat Hayam. And I know you were instrumental in, in, in making that possible. And because of it, I got to know you. And 15, 20 years later, here we are, not only uh, friends and um, you are my financial advisor, but also now doing a podcast together. Welcome, Mike. Well, thanks so much for having me, Baruch. Yeah, very excited. We've been talking about this for quite some time. Um, and it really it has always come back to the bigger picture of what money represents. And you're, a, you're a deep guy, a deep thinker. We have great conversations around this. That, And I want to hear more about it. But the role of, of meaning when it comes to money, because as, as you know, um, I am a logotherapist. I'm a, I'm a meaning-centered psychotherapist based on the work of Dr. Viktor Frankl, who was a Holocaust survivor. He created logotherapy, and he's author of 30 books, but the most well-known book was Man's Search for Meaning. And when we were talking about this, I don't know, a while back, and we just got going, I'm like, Man's Search for Meaning, Man's Search for Money, because I don't, I, I do know about you and I know about my clients, my clients who don't come to me for financial planning, God help them if they do, um, come to me for meaning. And yet what percentage of our conversations come back to 
money or something related to money and finances, a large percentage. And it's always struck me that that's at the center of their life grappling with meaning. I want to hear from you more. I know our audience wants to hear from you more about your experience of people coming to you thinking it's about only money. Do they leave thinking it's only about money? It's, it's interesting that you say that because you provided this great insight to me when we started talking about money and the meaning of money, because you should have brought up the concept that struck me many years ago, which was this idea of true wealth. Hmm. And like I said, people initially come to me thinking and, and asking about money and how to solve money problems. But when I actually work through a process with them to talk about, well, what is it about the money that you're trying to accomplish? What are the goals? What is your strategy? What is the endpoint? That it really is never about the money per se. Uh, there are you know, a small part of the population who has the thrill of making money or accumulating money, but that, that's the rare component. People who come to me to discuss money but usually have much different issues than the money. They want to leave a legacy. They want to retire. They want security. Again, to your point, which has been the, the fascinating paradigm in my life, which is what does that mean in a true wealth sense? Because I don't meet, meet many people that the money is a satisfier per se. I think there's been a lot of research on money as satisfier or dissatisfier. Certainly, the lack of money can be a dissatisfier, but having money is not necessarily a satisfier. So people often confuse that. So I'm very interested in, in to work with you and other things to try to figure out how do you take that tactical part of money to meet really their needs to get to whatever it may be. It could be happiness. It could be um you know, well-being, whatever that may be. So, absolutely. Well, I think the important word in here is, you know, man's search for meaning, again, Dr. Frankel's book, um, but meaning, means. And isn't it interesting? We, we say somebody's a person of means, right? It's an old, you know, obviously expression. Nobody really throws it around anymore, but, but that's an interesting idea, a person of means. It's not a person of ends, right? It's not an end unto itself. Uh-huh. It's they have... They have a means. And when you start thinking about, isn't that what money is? It's a means to an end. I would even challenge you, and we've talked about this before, that everybody who comes to you, even if they only talk about money, even if they think it's only about money, and you, you know, you've talked about them lighting up, right? It just kind of lights them up. But I would say that's a means, right? To feel vital and alive. We both know multi, multi-millionaires, maybe billionaire who doesn't need more money and it's no longer about the money and yet they still continue to grow their business or invest themselves into their work. So it must be about something more than just the money. No, it's funny how you talk about means and ends. And I guess I can draw 20 seconds since you were so gracious about biography. When I went to the Army War College, the Army War College when they discussed strategy, discuss it in three terms. And they discuss it in ends, ways, and means. And means are obviously just the resources that you need, but you need a way, which is a course of action or some sort of plan Mm. to get to your ends. And that's how they define strategy without going into a complex thing. Those are the three pillars of 
designing military strategy in the modern U.S. Army is what are your ends, ways, and means? And you mentioned that awesome. you have the, the means, and the means in, in military sense could just be the logistics or the, the weapons or whatever that may be. But that doesn't do anything for you without having the plan, which are the ways. And of course, without having an end, the most important thing, where are you going? What's your objective? You're not going to get there. And I think that's what you've drawn me into is, you know, money is a means. It's a way, it's, it's a way also in, in certain sense, um, but it, you develop ways, you develop courses of actions because of these means and this money to get somewhere else. Hmm. Usually it's rare that you can just pile up your money and sit there and, and, and just enjoy it. So teasing that out is, is so critical just so that you can, it, it relieves pressure. And, and to your point, it creates resilience for people um, if they can have a better relationship with their money or lack thereof. Absolutely. That to me is the heart of this. Um, because when we turn a means into an end, we give it a power that it doesn't deserve. In, in, in religious terms, can't, you know, you can take the boy out of the rabbinate, but you can't take the rabbit out of the boy here. I'm <laughs> still I am what I am. Um, and in religious terms, it's called idolatry. And idolatry was never bowing down to a statue. It was confusing the means and the ends. So we can turn anything into an idol when we start worshiping it for its sake. And I see that with I do this too, by the way, with money. When I start looking at the decimals in the bank account that you are helping me grow, thank you, as plug for uh, for you, and, and, and people should come to you for that to grow their wealth. But you you always help me remember that those are just decimals. They move around. The market moves around. There's a process. It's not about the decimals. It's about where those decimals point right? What those numbers point to, which is our conversation. And I can feel myself almost sometimes pulled to look at the decimals, to get worked up over them. To, and, and, and I come back to this, I've forgotten. It's, it's not an end. It's a means. There's a process. There's a larger goal. I love what you just said about means, ways, ends, right? It's a means yeah. to get there. I wish I could take credit for that, of course. But, it, it, you know, the army is great in that respect to simplify you know, how to look at something. And I think it is a really elegant methodology to look at the, those three pillars to get to a strategic objective. Because once you, once you have, like you said, the plan, if you know where you're going, it usually relieves some of the um, noise of having to look at the decimal points or be concerned about volatility or worry about, do you have enough? Do you have too much? Especially if you can focus it with, as I said, you gave the true wealth part of it is like, what is your true wealth? And that's hard. I mean, money is almost, it's a, it's, a, it's a cop out in a way because it's measurable. You know how much you earn. You can compare yourself to, I suppose, everyone else or a neighbor or it's understandable. But understanding what true wealth is, whether it's your family, whether it's health, whether it's whatever that may be, which is far beyond what, I normally do, but I found myself to your point saying, well, we're, we're making this money. Okay. So what? Well, okay. Is, are we, are we, are you any happier that the market was up 10% more this year than last year? Are you 10% happier? 
I, I'm usually not. No, I, I think I think people would would think they are until it's ten percent up, and you realize you're not ten percent happier. Oh. And when it's ten percent down, you know, are you really ten percent unhappier? Right. And, and and I don't think most people really think it through again because, um, and what we're talking about, well, you just said it, you touched on it. I, I want to dive deeper into it. Worth, net worth. People confuse it with I do too sometimes with self worth. Right. And they are not the same thing. I was just listening to a podcast and somebody was interviewing a woman who lost everything to Bernie Madoff. And I know a lot of people in the Boston area were victims of uh, the Madoff scheme. But what she talked about was, and of course, at the beginning, right, when the news broke and I was in Boston uh, at the time, I remember it well, um, she was obviously devastated. But what she realized was only money was lost. She was still here. Her worth was still here. It took her a long time to get back to that worth. And she did it penniless to build herself back up having lost millions, but really got me thinking about what did he take from these people? Well, he can't take their self-worth. He could take their net worth, but so often we confuse the two. And I just would love to hear you uh, riff a little more on the idea of net worth and self-worth. I, I think I think you're absolutely right. It's probably we're in a society that dwells on the net worth, you know, for, for, for many, many reasons, uh, culturally and, and, and otherwise. And it, it seems to be changing slightly where people are doing more things that may, might be more worthy than just, I, I always joke that, you know, I don't build anything. I, I, I always respect someone who, I go out and build a house or does something with their hands for a living because you can see we contribute. Yes, we may make money or, or, or that type of thing, which is, is said a means. But ultimately, you have to know what value you're adding to your family, to society, what your legacy is going to be. And uh, what is that really worth right. versus versus money. Um, you, you know, you know, my favorite, you know, speech or podcast that you do is always the putting a skew on, on your cemetery grave. And what does it say after we're all gone? Um, there's no bank account on, on those, but what you've left behind, you know, what you've contributed is also the satisfaction. I think of doing that when, when you're, when you're here and, having money work for you. I think a lot, you know, a lot of the, even the, the multi mega billionaires, obviously are, are understanding that uh, now, uh, you know, who can even someone like Bill Gates, we won't get into, you know, the, the current news, but you're doing vaccines or you're helping the African continent, you're trying to solve problems. And that might be more meaningful to him than being the world's richest man at one time, I suspect, uh, and, and, and so forth. So there is, I think, the two completely different things. However, there probably are some connections. There's some rhymes with worth and, and net worth. Well, I think it comes back to means, right? If you're using it as a means to something worthy, right? That increases your worth. But just to have more for more sake, it can't possibly create your worth. Look at, you know, I, I come from the Holy Land. Omaha, Nebraska, in your world. I know that's like, you know, the that's right. Jerusalem of finance. With, um, every, <laughs> every, I mean, I hope you, I, I know you probably camp out at McDonald's when you're a kid, 
hoping to see him go through the drive-through to buy his uh, right. egg muffin, right, in his old Cadillac. But he was always an example, and and his uh, my rabbi and he were neighbors growing up, and there's some great stories about them, um, and and him making uh, my rabbi very wealthy through an early investment in Berkshire Hathaway. But the bottom line was. Warren Buffett was and continues to be the same guy living in a modest house in in Midtown Omaha, driving modest cars, right? Giving away. What did he, what did he um, earmark for, you know, his giving away to society to, to. Yeah, I think 99% of his fortune, right? So this is not a man who ever defined himself, at least to the public eye, to, to, to this person watching by his worth is, bigger or smaller based on the size of his, you know, of his net worth. And, yeah. and, and what an example for the rest of us. I think that's right. And, you know, the, there is a small part of the population that um, as their means go up, they do consume it in luxury, right? That, that they do get pleasure, which is a little different than meaning, right? Mm-hmm. You can, as you get more means and more net worth and more wealth, you certainly can get daily pleasure out of certain things. You can travel more. You can, you know, maybe have a um, nicer sneakers, nicer house, nice, nicer things. But what okay. I found out is that there's that is, is, is incremental value in that because of course, right. in some daily pleasure, but you get to separate pleasure from meaning when it comes to the money too, because eventually that, that also becomes, you get worn down. There's only so much incremental pleasure you can get in life from, you know, from this. And, and maybe Buffett knew that early on that his pleasure wasn't going to come from building, you know, a, a mansion he, that wasn't going to give him much pleasure, but it might, it might be the pleasure of employing half of, you know, 500,000 people and getting jobs to people or seeing Omaha, Nebraska thrive much more than it would have without him. Right. And seeing his neighbors grow or seeing his neighbor, you know, your rabbi be able to live that a little bit more securely because of him, right? Who, who knows? But I think, you know, it is interesting with someone, you know, who has those, um, you know, probably, I don't want to say puritanical roots, but, but have, you know, more grassroots thinking than, because we're, we're comparing, you know, people who might live in ultra luxurious nature mm-hmm. with wealth, which, you know, people love that idea. It's like royalty. How do you live like a billionaire? Well, you know, I just want to make sure, you know, our listeners know that there's nothing wrong with money from a, from a Jewish perspective. It's amoral, you know, grapes are amoral. What, what, you know, you can turn grapes into the wine we use for sacramental purposes, kiddish, or you can turn it into something that ruins people's lives. Money is valueless. What we do with it imparts value. And so, you know, there's nothing wrong. And in fact, everything right with, I'm a, I'm a capitalist. I live in America for a reason. Yeah. Um, I know you believe that for sure. I support you. I think, but I think the, the, the bottom line is we all want to see the money grow for, I think that the, the key is for, you know, for a righteous purpose in a certain sense that, yeah, the more that money grows means that people are living better, they're eating better, they're better medical care, standard of livings are better. So we're all for, we want everything to grow. Um, it just becomes a problem when that is, you said, the means in and of itself. And we find a lot of people who, despite having the means, 
and maybe doing even some good things with it for society, that it can it can actually cause more problems and more, as you said, uh, psychological problems or more dissatisfaction, which you wouldn't intuitively think offhand. I mean, when I first started my career, I never said to myself, wow, if someone, you know, quintuples their net worth that they might be less happy, mm-hmm. but they may have other problems that they didn't anticipate. It never even, it wasn't something that was even discussed. You brought the holistic idea, but yeah, there are unintended consequences to a bunch of things. So like any plan, it's really important to consider that along the way and, and, and look at it from a integrative, holistic, you know, perspective, just like you, you do in your soul-centered approach to, to everything, right? It's a deep approach. And that's, and that's the point, though. We have so many future podcasts that just came out of this one, but, um, you know, self-worth and the fear of another time we'll talk about, you know, the fear that starts creeping in when we, when we feel scarcity and feel like we have to hold on because it's an end, it's not a means. And if it's our self-worth and it's diminishing, then I'm diminishing. But if it's a means, it's not who I am. It's a means to get somewhere to impart my values. Then there's a healthier distance and a lot less fear. Um, but just keep constantly coming back to, this idea of, you know, man's search for money is really man's search for meaning, for means to something else. I just can't say it enough because when I counsel people and they come back to this place of fear and money and not having enough, and and you know it better than I do, I don't think anybody ever says it's enough. Like, do you have clients who just say it's enough, no more, stop making me money, right? It never ends. It's... I. I can't think of a circumstance per se that no one ever wants to, you know, grow their wealth. Um, they may be at a point where they might want to consider sharing it, yes. you know, but you're right. Yeah. But on the other side, like you said, on the inverse, there is magnificent or just heightened fear for the reduction of wealth. Mm-hmm. Even if it's not real, even if it's temporary on paper or cyclical, it doesn't affect standard of living. That is a magnified fear for people, um, rightfully or wrongfully. It could, some people, it could be a daily basis watching a stock ticker. Some people, it could be a fear of a political fear or, you know, some other extreme, extrinsic fear. But that fear is palpable for people. People are fearful more to lose their money, I would argue, than the, even their health, which, you know, that is a whole different, you think that, uh, we joke now, health is wealth, right? I mean, that's what you really need as you get to your, you know, I love your term, afternoon of life, right? Mm-hmm. So we're in the afternoon of life, I guess you have to think about your health, but that's so important to your wealth. Right, it's, uh, it's synonymous right? in some ways, because you can, you know, you use it those is. means to further your health. But people are more fearful of their wealth in the afternoon of life than they are of their health. Maybe not in the latest stages, probably of life, I, you know, would suspect, but certainly in the afternoon of life. I don't have that many conversations about, you know, I did exercise a month ago. I'm not feeling that great, but yeah, that stock market's down 3%. We're going to do that. Like, well, I, I wouldn't worry about that. I think, you know, maybe you know, maybe a trip, maybe a trip through Whole Foods instead of the McDonald's drive-through might be a more prudent investment for you 
than worrying about how much more money you're going to accumulate, right? But I say joking, that, that, that is the part where you realize that obviously there you know, are, are so many other things that you've really got to you know, focus people. And part of it's a teaching process. Um, I, I remember taking chemistry in high school. And I'm not sure what that ever did for me, but no one ever taught me about it. There was, never, there was no money class. Now, of course, I went to accounting school, which was accounting class, but isn't it, we don't really teach any of this stuff to anyone, anywhere. Never, never mind balance a checkbook. I'm not even going to go that far. Like, not that anyone, you know, does it that much or you can do it online, but teaching the skills around money, dealing with money, managing money, you know, what that means is, is a topic that I think you've hit upon because it drives so many other issues for people. Well, and that's that's a critical point. We'll you know start to wrap up with this idea, but that's Viktor Frankl's thesis: is there are three pathways to meaning. There's creative, what you create and contribute to the world, the world around you. Um, experiential, that which you experience. Go to a concert, you can you know witness a birth. There's lots of different ways to find meaning through experience. But what happens? when you can't control your circumstances, when life happens to you and you're caught in the crosshairs and there's nothing left, there's a third pathway to meaning and it's called attitudinal. Um, This is the last of human freedoms, he says, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. And when I see that with money, that we forget that, that we always have a choice when the market is down and I know I'm panicking. Right. And I, my first call is you. I got, unfortunately for you, I got you on speed dial. And I'm like, hey, Mike, you know, we got we to talk. And he's like, you know, get in line because um, you're not the only one who's afraid. And you always take my call for the record. Um, but what I have to do is my own work. And you help me remind me of this oftentimes in a gentle way. You don't say it, but I get back to it of, but I have a choice. I can choose how I respond to the fear that's understandably welling up within me, to the feeling which I'm sure your clients are experiencing right now. One day it's up, one day it's down, one day it's up. There's like a, it's like riding a roller coaster watching the stock market these days. And I can't do anything about it, but I can choose my response of how I'm going to respond to this fluctuation and to these crazy circumstances of the world we live in. Well, I think you've hit on the cornerstone of the entire future discussions on this, which is the money cornerstone of of your choice, you have to have the ad money, your money attitude needs to be established up front. What is your attitude that you're going to choose? How are you going to look at this and approach this and really work that proactively as opposed to be forced to it? That you actually cognitively think about that, right? And your approach, because you know, you, you want to, if you think about this stuff well in advance, it's sort of, I'll bring it back to military stuff. If, if you war game it through your mind well ahead of time, when it happens to you, you're more comfortable saying, well, what would happen if, you know, money went down 30%? What would happen if we had a pandemic in March in 2020, the stock market crashes by 35% in a matter of a month, right? No one could have conceived of that, but it happened and you had to deal with it. But you could have thought about it in advance and said, well, do I really care about my 35% or do I care if I had COVID at that point? I mean, that's a stark difference. So I think you've hit upon the cornerstone of the whole discussion, which is what is your money attitude? How are you defining that? How are you going to actually 
approach it. Right. And you nailed it. We don't talk about these things. They're the most important things in our life and our society seem to be either assumed or off limits. And, you know, money is one of them. Sex is another. And uh, death is another. Maybe that's going to be the title of our podcast, Death, Sex and Money. I think that's actually a podcast that's out there. So we'll stick with man's search for money. But we all know it's about meaning. And we need to have these conversations, like you just said, ahead of time so that we can take back our power and not feel like victims of circumstance. I always say to, to like Dr. Viktor Frankl, to go from victim to victor, right? Viktor Frankl really instilled this in his message and in my life and in this search for meaning and reminding ourselves that it is about man and woman's search for meaning, not money. Money is a means to get there. So we've got lots of podcasts. I think we just generated like 20 podcasts I wrote down here, brother. So we got our work ahead of us, but this was a good start. Thank you so much for uh, agreeing to join me on this venture that we're going to do together. Thank you. I look forward to be, you know, your partner on this uh, adventure for sure. It's very important. And how can um, listeners get a hold of you and learn more about what you do and who you are? Oh, thank you. Anytime, please feel free to visit our website, which is uh, aptlynamefinder.com. And uh, you can always reach out to uh, me at michael.finder at finder.com or call us in our Salem, Massachusetts office uh, at any time, you know, and hit the site. So thanks so much. And, and I look forward to, you know, talking again with everyone soon. Thanks, brother. And I, I have to say the last plug for you, and it's just honest, is that um, you send out videos weekly, periodically, and I get these videos and um, it brings down my anxiety level, you know, especially during the year of COVID. Um, I just always would go to them just to kind of check in, just to hear the, the truth, not the hype and hysteria, but just this constant steady message of of growth and really, you know, you inspired this conversation about a means, not an end. And so thank you. And to our listeners, sign up for these videos because they're truly, um, although, you know, you know, Mick isn't going to be in Hollywood anytime soon along with me, I'm not going there either, but they are awesome, stellar reminders of, uh, of how we should approach money. So thank you. Thanks so much. All right. And um, you always can get a hold of Myself and Ariella at mysoulcenter.org. We got lots of things happening, lots of programs that are in development are now ready for the offer. So check it out. If you're looking for meaning, spirituality, or healing, we would love to get to know you, work with you, and shoot us an email, mysoulcenter.org. Until the next time, shalom, salam, namaste, and peace. You've been listening to Om Your Power a podcast about discovering meaning, purpose, and healing in the afternoon of life with your hosts and soul-centered co-founders, Ariella and Baruch Alevi.